This is an AMI podcast. Keep the conversation going off the air. Your voice matters. Email feedback at AMI.ca or connect with us on Twitter at AMI-audio and let us know what you think about our programming. Welcome to the podcast, Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Today, we've got Miss Lily joining us to school us on what makes an outdoors person, a bucket list interview with the founder and director of the Cambridge Forest and Farm Outdoor School, a tip from me on using buck saws, and a campfire reflection, inviting you, the listeners, to share your thoughts and suggestions. I'm Lawrence Gunther, and I'll meet you back at the campsite. Getting Schooled with Miss Lily. Well, Miss Lily, what do you have in store for me today? <laughs> so we're going to do a what kind of adventurer are you quiz. Oh, okay. We're going to find out the type of adventurer you are. I did it earlier. Don't tell me. I don't want to be, you know, influenced, influenced by your choice. Influenced by me? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know what kind of adventurer I am already, but uh, right. maybe maybe I'll learn something from this. Okay. All right. All right. First question. Which do you identify with? Male, female, or prefer not to say? So in terms of, like, partners or... No, no. Who you are. Oh, who I am. How... Right, okay. Ma- male. <laughs> yeah. Male. That's what I thought, Dad. Yeah. What is your favorite piece of outdoor gear? Your paddle... Your backpack, your trusty bike, your skis, your tent, or your up-for-anything trail shoes? Well, you know me. I love shoes, right? I got oh, all I sorts know. of shoes and boots. Yes. But uh, it's not my favorite. It's just I see them as tools, but I love my paddle. So your paddle? paddle? Yeah. Paddle. All right. Yeah. Question two. Your perfect day would look like this. A long canoe trip on an empty lake. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to hear the other options? Oh, what are they? Okay, what are they? A quiet hike with a picturesque view, a twisty road or trail tackled on two wheels, knee-deep powder, which is like snow, and no lift lines, a secluded campsite and a starry night, or SUP in the morning, cycle in the afternoon, then a sunset hike. Huh. Well... I like all that, but I, I'm still going with my first choice. A canoe? Yeah, get me in a canoe anytime. Okay. When it comes to outdoor recreation, your biggest worry is <laughs> tipping your kayak, being chased by a bear, popping a tire, falling into a tree well, a full campground, when our pastimes conflict another. Ah, uh, falling into a... Falling into a tree well? There's a hole in the snow under the tree, and if you walk around the tree, you're fine, but if you get too close to the tree, you'll slip right in under the tree. It's, it's, a, it's amazing the, how that works, but but well. no, maybe, I guess... Being chased by a bear? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if your friend cancels on a planned outdoor adventure, you respond with, you paddle too slow anyway. Fine, I only have enough trail mix for one. How am I going to form a peloton now? Good. Now I can lap the chairlifts through the singles line. I guess I'll just pack my one-person tent. Or, but you were bringing the bikes and I was bringing the kayak. The last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the drive, right? I need the drive. I mean, otherwise That's I'm just true. hiking around the neighborhood. That's true. That's true. You can't drive. There. Some people have designer clothes in their closets. You mostly have... 
PFDs and Tilly hats. Yep. Quick dry pants and poly pro oh, tops. Oh, you know that. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Spandex shorts and fingerless gloves. Not a big shorts nope. guy, no. Gore-Tex shells and fleece mid-layers. I wish. Wool toques and flannel shirts. Or wetsuits, ski jackets, cycling jerseys, and water shoes. So I think quick dry pants and poly pro tops. You know me well. Yes, yeah. yes. That's all you have. <laughs> when I'm in the water, they dry really fast. You know? you I fall in, I come out, I'm dry 30 minutes later. Okay. Yeah. Your number one hurdle to active living is finding a portage partner, crowds on the hiking trail, cars blocking the bike paths, huh. climate change reducing the snowpack, can't get a campsite reservation. Hurdles? That sounds like fun. Campsite yep. reservation. And that's always, it's so much effort to get campsite reservations in provincial mm-hmm. parks at the nice places, that's for sure. Those are annoying. Yeah. 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 Your ultimate international bucket list adventure is hmm. kayaking the fjords of Greenland, hiking through Patagonia, bicycling in the south of France, a ski snowboard tour of Switzerland, a camping safari in Botswana, a cycle surf trip on Australia's Gold Coast. Patagonia. Almost got to go. Almost got so close and oh, didn't get I've there. I've never been to Patagonia. Oh, yeah, that would be uh, that would smart. That's, That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. Your most bragworthy outdoor skill is your textbook J stroke, your ability to navigate via the sun. You're never. <laughs> I can do it. Oh, me too. When it when when, when, when it's shining see. on me. Oh yeah, but like yeah. I can do it. I learned that in school. All right, all right. Your never-ending wheelies. Uh. Your Olympic caliber carving. Your fire starting skills. Ding. One skill. I have many skills. <laughs> the fire starting. I love to start fires. I yeah, I think I'm I pretty good at it. Yeah. When it comes to staying fit, you prefer push-ups and core workouts, a walk in the woods. Cardio, 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 squats and lunges, chopping wood, or whatever is on class pass, squats and lunges. Uh, Push-ups. Really? Yeah, 40 every morning. Ladies first, Miss Lily, what were your results? All right, I'm the hiker. Huh. Yeah, so it says here, I own at least three pairs of hiking boots, Yeah. lots of backpacks, day packs, overnight packs, multi-night packs. In the quote, you're often obsessed with reaching the viewpoint or the summit, even if weather or your hiking partner holds you back. And rain or shine, you're on the trail, sometimes solo, sometimes with the group, but always pushing hard towards the summit. Very nice, eh? Yeah. Yeah, we're very determined. I yeah. believe that. That's cool. So do I. I like hiking. I still got to get you on the front of that tandem bike. No. <laughs> no. No, I can barely bike myself. I'm not going to be responsible for you either. No. All right, all I'm right. I'm sorry. Someday. Mm-hmm. What do they say about me? You are a paddler. Ah, yes. No surprise. <laughs> you were practically born with a paddle in your hands. Yeah. There is no better way to spend the day than paddling pristine lakes, rivers, or the ocean in oh, a yeah. canoe or a kayak. Bring it on, baby. You own at least one Tilly hat, more dry bags than you can count, and you live in your keens. Such single focus leaves you deprived during the long winter months when lakes are frozen and coastal storms make ocean trips risky. That's not true. I, I find lots of stuff to do <laughs> in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> Some say you have a one-track mind, it's life on the water, or nothing. Uh, it involves fishing and water <laughs> stuff. I agree, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. You find ways to be in the water. Even when it's in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Not on purpose. (laughs) 
Oh, that was interesting. Thanks, Miss Lily. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you want to take the quiz yourself, visit Explore Magazine on the web. We'll be putting a link to that quiz in the show notes. You can find that at lawrencegunther.com. Time for the bucket list. Here's something to add to your bucket list, maybe not for yourself, but for your kids. We're going to talk to Heather Figueroa. She's the founder and director of the Cambridge Farm and Forest School. Who wouldn't want to go to an outdoor school, folks? I mean, I told my kids about it. They were totally into it. Heather is a certified forest school practitioner, and the school itself is a member of the Child and Nature Alliance of Canada. Here's what they do. To provide children with opportunities to advance their education by exploring the natural space, caring for animals, identifying and navigating risk, gaining transferable life and leadership skills, and being contributing members of a community through the natural world. Heather, welcome to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Lawrence. Great um, to speak with you. Yeah, you too. You too. Hey, so you come from a background of dairy farmers. Me too. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, like how guys. many generations? Oh, my goodness, it goes way back, like my grandfather, I know that, and uh, and before that, I'm sure, I just don't know how far back, but I know I spent a lot of summers on the dairy farms doing things, and, uh, you know, right from loose hay to baled hay, I never got there when they were doing the big marshmallow uh, bales, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but and how things have changed so suddenly in the last, even our last generation, my, with my brothers taking it over, we went all the way to robotic milkers too so oh that's the best that's that's changed from what you even saw growing up so how did you transition from uh, being a a dairy farmer to uh, running an outdoor school well I went to school at Queens for outdoor and experiential education just with my love of the outdoors and being on the farm and seeing how things just flow so naturally and there being so many learning opportunities for myself and my siblings um, and then helping out on the farm in different aspects, not nearly as much as my brothers. Um, and then speaking with even colleagues or friends who were adults and seeing how there was such a disconnect between either it was nature or mostly agriculture and for things that I just assumed were common sense, like that uh, a female, a cow needs to produce a calf before she can start making milk. And that wasn't common sense for some of my friends. So I took that as a uh, like an aha moment to say, okay, what can we do about this? Because if they don't know, then the next generation is not going to know. And where are they going to find their answers? So I, I um, went to my family and proposed the idea and they were open to it. And we found a, an, a, a space that was just being used by some hired help and some other tenants. And the location was fantastic. It was within a good proximity to town, so I thought it would be accessible to people. And then we have our dairy farm right next door, so we could tie in that modern farming piece, too, with them. And then with my teaching background, it was easy to, to tie in some of the curriculum expectations from the government, too. It's fantastic. And what age is, uh, what age range or what uh, school? I mean, is it all ages, all, all levels? Yeah, we started with just our kindergarten and preschool ages, and now we span all the way up to grade 8. We have three different programs, our preschool, kindergarten, and then we call it our school age, which is going from grade 1 to grade 8, and they get split up into smaller age groups within that. And that was just based on the need from the community. We had older students and families reaching out and saying, hey, why don't you have 
this program running for our older students, and then we added that on, and we've expanded since then just by listening to the community. And they have come to us saying they would like a part-time model, and that's, that works great for us because we can accommodate more students, and they can continue to have this as supplementary to their public school, which is exactly what we wanted to. We didn't want to replace their formal education. We just think it's a, another enhancement piece that can tie to what they're already learning in the brick-and-mortar setting. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally get that. I have friends that are, are sending their kids to outdoor schools like one day a week, and they think it's totally like, I mean, the kids think it's the best day of the week for sure, right? I mean, the, <laughs> getting out of the, out of the office, out of the uh, schoolroom, away from the desk, and uh, in the outdoors. But you went beyond farm. You, you've got this whole outdoor aspect, 150-acre forest, and, uh, you know, you've, you've just expanded and expanded your offerings and, and really focusing on nature now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, because... There's such an innate curiosity when it comes to nature, and kids have this also innate comfortability with it. And if we get them at a young enough age group, they're not going to be the ones that are saying, ew, a mouse, or gross, I don't want to touch that. Like, for example, we had yeah. our kindergarten group last year, and one of our teachers found a leech in the pond, and she brought it out and said, this leech um, has to drink other mammals or other critters to give nutrients to its baby. And all the kindergartners went, Aw, can I hold it? <laughs> and then they were they were fascinated with this leech, and yet other people, their perspective would be this ew or gross. And yeah, at our school, we never yeah. say yeah, <laughs> exactly. We never say ew or gross when it comes to nature or science. We say if you don't like it, then you can just say wow or that's interesting or I don't want to I don't want to hold that, and that's fine too. Yeah. But we just really want to steer kids in a positive frame a mindset of what nature is and, and how cyclical it all is and how it, how it interacts with humans, too, because we are a big piece of how it's going to survive. I've, I've done a bit of research this over, over the years, and there's some really like prestigious uh, sociologists and psychiatrists and psychologists that have written extensively on this and that said that children need to be at shorelines, like you're talking about. They need to see that cornucopia of life, you know, that, that synergy of life that happens at the shorelines. And if you deny children that experience, you're denying them an evolutionary necessity of development, that we've always done it, that the kids have always done this for thousands and thousands of generations. Mm -hmm. And if suddenly, suddenly you deny them that opportunity, they're going to miss something in, in their life, like that's going to be detrimental for the rest of their life. I completely agree. It, it, that's why it's just so easy for them to navigate nature because, like you say, they've done it for <laughs> millennia yeah. and, and they know how and they feel confident, whereas something more textbook-driven or um, contrived like mathematics and the teachings of those uh, might be a little more difficult for some kids. So encouraging them that learning can be in so many different capacities and it can be experiential and kinesthetic, and that's what nature offers. So let's I, get, I completely agree with that. Let's get down to some of the details. Other than leech collection, what, what are the kids doing out there? <laughs> uh, the, best, the best part about offering it outside all the time is that we can do all the planning we want, but Mother Nature dictates how the day goes, and the kids can also reroute how the day goes too. So at each, session, each season brings a different, um, <coughs> excuse me, different offerings. Um, in the fall, we do all kinds of things surrounding harvest, and even my brothers will call me and say, hey, we're doing corn harvest today. Do you want to come and see it happen? 
so we run out there. So those are all things that just happen on the fly. We talk about nature kind of closing up for winter and, and animals preparing for that. There's lots of that. And then when winter comes, um, we have two Malamute dogs, and they take us on our dog sled. We go mushing, so not only is that a neat experience for the kids, but they also learn about sociology and how um, how some people still use dog sleds for um, for travel and, and how the, the Malamutes part of families. And then we have things like toboggan physics. We'll talk about when they slide down the hill and, and gravity and, and slope and uh, some of that with the older kids. Yeah, inertia. Um, yeah. Spring, there's so much going on with our vernal pool life coming back. And and then summer, we have our summer camp. So so kids just, kids are staying love, over kids stay over in the summertime and do you have cabins or is it a sleepover in the summer? We just do day camps, which is why we we're fortunate enough to be able to run this summer because um, day camps were still able to run. And it's nice because we can get kids from mm. the suburbs and they just get picked up at the end of the day. Mm. Um, so we can get a lot younger age groups. We can get families picking up their work and then it it offsets the cost a little bit too when it's just a day camp. Um, I, I, yeah, I've no heard, cabins yet. No cabins yet. No, that, but I understand. I mean, a sleepover, you know, summer camp—that's a different beast altogether, right? And, and 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 day camps. I think a lot of parents are into day camps. They want to see their kids at the end of the day, hear how their experience went, um, you know, do a little check-in. And you know, people people helicopter their kids these days, right? It's not the same as it was 30, 40 years ago. It was like you know, pack your bag and yeah. see you in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just more settling for the parents. And even we have kids getting dropped off, and it's their first time ever away from home, whether they're in preschool or if they've never had a camp experience, too. So it's yeah. nice to give them that first offering. I understand you're all booked up. We are. We we did our best to accommodate as many waitlist participants and, and applicants as possible, but we didn't want to make our program too large that lose that that quality and that intimate feeling of being on our space if there's so many people running around it's it's not the same quiet that you can experience uh on our farm so we expanded a few programs but we still want to have slow intentional growth because we're not sure what next year will bring too so if we go too big then then maybe next year there won't be as much interest due to Hmm. I don't know, other programs opening up, or maybe I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that public schools will incorporate a lot more outdoor learning, too. I think it's, it's, it would be a great idea if the school boards and the, and the governments recognized the kind of things you're doing there and started to sort of invest in that a little bit, right, and support you instead. So it's not a private in, initiative necessarily. It becomes a private-public partnership, if possible, because, I mean, are you doing scholarships or, you know, I, I mean, I... I Sending a kid to private school is not cheap. Yeah, yeah, we do have one scholarship offered from the the local Sheffield Lions Club. They're they're nice. um, very supportive with that, with sending a kid to camp for the whole week. But we're also reaching out to other corporations and businesses and saying, like, hey, if you want some more opportunity, corporate responsibility, we'd love to have your support in sending these kids here. Yeah, because it, our learning should be for everybody, and that's why I think it's. It's a great time for this, and I think there's going to be a push in the government, and they might, they might uh, hmm. see this as a suitable time to instill that into the classroom. 
I, you know, I, you'd have my vote. I, I think the kids, connecting kids to nature is so crucial to developing a sense of stewardship and responsibility and understanding. Like I said, I grew up in Georgetown, like not far from Cambridge. And our big joke, me and my buddies, was, you know, you go to Toronto and people never even saw a cow. They, you know, kids that grew up in Toronto never even the saw Royal a cow. The was the only cow they saw. Yeah. You know, and and that we might have been wrong on that, but I don't think we're that far off the base, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right on when it, we talk about environmental stewardship because if they're not going to learn about nature and, I, I, and it, identifying it or identifying problems within it, then who's going to take care of it next? So that's what we really try to instill, this, this stewardship that they can carry through the rest of their lives. I mean, your kids, your kids are, you know, the kids you're teaching, they, they're seeing the effects of climate change directly, right? They, they, you yeah. can teach them that directly and they can see it from one year to the next to the next and with your pond and the life and how, you know, this, the heat and the drying out and the extreme storms that make have, have to rush inside. They see the weather patterns changing. They experience that, you know, they're not tucked away inside a safe building. It, 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 I, it's a more immediate thing, you know. I think it's so important. Where do you see yourself in five to ten years from now? Like, dream for me. Tell me your dreams. <laughs> uh, we'd love to continue to expand our indoor space so that we can accommodate in the winter. Um, because as much as we are outside in the winter, we we understand that students need a break. They need a warm space. So we do have a washer and dryer and and enough indoor space to accommodate our two groups that we have each day. But we'd love to expand our school and, and even incorporate more field trips with the public school because there's some new schools being built in the area and there's lots of lo- interest from local schools and teachers. And we'd love to collaborate with some sort of course or system where they can access our site and it become more public and more accessible to more students too. Do you ever see yourself sort of diverging so you'd have a stream going towards more agriculture and farming kids that are more interested in having that life, you know, that career projection and others who maybe want to become, you know, biologists, conservationists, environmentalists and, and, and more streaming into the nature side? Or is that an option that you think that might happen down the road? Yeah, we've, we've heard from actually a, a couple principals in the, in the area and they've said they've had some students that those thinking about college or university, or maybe they just need some sort of respite from their care, from their from their schooling, but they have a devoted interest in nature, or they are on a farm and they just are obsessed going to do their chores, and they don't ever want to do their homework. And so, so offering something to the older age groups that can potentially train them in those areas and inspire that next generation too. So we're not just doing that little feeder piece when they're so young, it can be that connecting piece into a career as well for the older. That would be awesome too. It would be awesome. Uh, you know, the agriculture feeding the world. I mean, Canada, Canada has a role to play there. We've got the, we've got the, we've got the infrastructure, right? We've got the fields, we've got mm-hmm. the space for that. So, uh, and we've got the nature that needs to be taken care of too. So I'm torn, I'm torn, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Farmers are the original environmental environmentalists because if they're not working with nature to help long, they're not going to get a great crop at the end of the year. They're not going to have um, as much success with their livestock either. They need to listen to nature. They really do. And, you know, or if they're not in tune, it's going to go very bad for them. <laughs> yeah, and they're at the mercy of nature too. So they know a lot of <laughs> yep. bowing down and 
waiting for the storm to pass. <laughs> yeah, or even just coyotes and, and, and you know, and different types of wildlife and how you, your farm interacts with that. You know, it's, there's always those connections. Heather, thank you so much for joining us on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Well, thank you so much for reaching out again. Outdoor tips and tech. The tech level on this tip is pretty low, folks. But you know what? Buck saws, or some people call them bow saws, are pretty handy tools. And if you don't want to be using a chainsaw, like me, you might want to check this tip out. This is a buck saw, or a bow saw. It's shaped like a bow, and in between the ends is a, a blade under tension. It's got lots of teeth on it. It's like a sharp mouth, full of teeth, very sharp. It cuts when you push. Why do you want to use this instead of an axe when you're cutting up firewood? Hey, it's just a lot faster, and it's way more efficient. You don't have to work so hard. So, you know, if I'm going to cut something here, first thing I want to do is make sure I've got everything clear so I'm not going to pick up any mud. Because the last thing you want to do when you're cutting with a bow saw is get, is get dirt on the blade. Dirt is grit. Grit is like sandpaper, and it'll dull your blade before you know it. The thing I want is a rest to put the piece of wood on that I'm going to cut. I'm going to measure out a piece about my elbow to my fist. That's about the perfect size to go into a fire pit. Then it's just easy cut. Now notice I'm wearing gloves. So once I'm starting to cut, I'm committed, committed to that stroke. I'm not moving. I'm just cutting right over the edge, right over the rest. So I'm about halfway through now. Now, now the blade is cutting on the flat part of the wood that I've just cut. So it's not going to be as efficient. So I'll roll it just a little bit, about 10 degrees one way, and I'll cut that edge off the board, or off this log, and then I'll roll it the other way and cut that edge off. But I'm not going to roll it all the way around, because if I rolled it all the way around, I'll end up with a piece of wood holding the whole thing together in the middle, and my blade will get edged. Last thing I'm going to do is just crack it off. There, piece one. Move up, move along. Another piece, get the saw out. Never cut on a knot. Knots are very hard to cut through. That's where the branches come off this limb, and it's all—it's much harder wood. You want to avoid the knots. Again, I measure with my thumb, put my thumb there, get the blade, make sure everything's solid. Pull my hand back a bit. I got my leather gloves on. Start cutting. Again, get about halfway through, then twist the log a little bit towards me, twist the log a little bit away from me, and then the last thing, just, well, let's see. I mean, I might have needed to cut a little more. The hardest thing is to find out where you were cutting the last time. So I'm just going to start over. There we go. There. There. Three nice pieces of wood. Last thing, folks. When you're working with the bucks on the bush, always remember where you put it down. If you put this on the ground, and then you have to go look for it later, and you're feeling around like me, the last thing you want to do is run your hand into these sharp blades. What I do is find a nice tree. I lean it against the tree when I move my wood around, and then I just have to find the tree while I'm walking around, and then I just use my feet. And once I hear that, with my foot hitting the saw, I know where it is. That's a buck saw, that's a bow saw. I'm not sure which name counts. They both seem to work. Now you know.
So what kind of outdoor person are you? Do you live in the city? Crave to get outdoors any chance you get? Do you live in the city and want to try it? Want to make that connection with nature? Or do you live in the country, in a remote, rural, or northern part of Canada, and you're just looking for more information about how to live life more accessibly, more fully, to have more challenges, to do more things? Or maybe you're one of those people who have already amassed this kind of knowledge and you want to share it. That's what we're about, folks. We're about getting you out there, and if you're out there, we're about giving you a voice. No sense reinventing the wheel. We can all learn from each other. In Getting School with Miss Lily, we learned about what kind of outdoor person are you. But more importantly, we learned about the types of outdoor activities we might want to try. Things we'd never even imagined doing. It's all possible. With the right kind of information and the right kind of mentorship, we can do this, folks. We can do it. Trust me, I do it. I do just about everything. You know, there's some things I won't admit to doing, and i got to keep my insurance and my sponsors happy. But, you know, I'm kidding. And really, being safe, managing risk, it's all about doing that. And who says being in the outdoors is risk-free? It's not. But we're grown up. We have the right to try things. We just have to be smart about it. And if you're young, or if you need your parents' advice and guidance and permission, you better get that before you try anything you hear on this show. Or maybe you can get your parents to enroll you in an outdoor school. We heard about Heather's Farm and Forest Outdoor School in Cambridge, Ontario. What a great opportunity. These outdoor schools are popping up all over the place. You can go one day a week, one day every two weeks. In the case of Cambridge's Outdoor Farm and Forest School, you can enroll every week. Go go for all five days. You go home and in the evening. There's lots of opportunities out there. Think about that, though. I mean, if I could do it all over again in my childhood... I'd go there in a heartbeat. If I could send my kids there, for sure, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But you know what? I don't have that opportunity. My kids are growing up already. You know, I talked to them about that. And they said, yeah, that'd be so cool, Dad. But I'm teaching them that. I'm teaching them that. I'm, we're getting them outdoors. So I don't think they're missing. But you know what? If you, if you can't teach them yourself, it's something to consider. You heard about me on how to cut firewood with a buck saw. You know, unless you're one of those people that like the sound of a big gas engine or maybe one of these new electric chainsaws, they're pretty cool. But you know what? Chainsaws can be very dangerous. And if you're not sure what you're swinging around and what you're doing, if you don't have any sight or even limited sight, and even if you're sighted, chainsaws can cause problems. The main thing, though, is you can do a lot of damage to a tree. If you're trimming branches off a tree and you nick the bark, even with a buck saw, if you nick the bark, That's where bugs are going to get in. You won't see the damage until five years later when you start to see brown tips and and dead leaves and less and less leaves on the tree. It takes five years for an infection to show itself in a tree. It just needs one gash in the bark. And if it's not healed over, if it's not crusted over properly, if it's not taken care of, that's where the bugs get in. They get under the bark. They lay their eggs. They spread their disease and virus. They cause havoc and kill the trees. So, you know... Buck saws properly done. If you're going to be trimming tree limbs, always leave about an inch and a half off away from the tree where you're cutting. Last thing, I'd like to hear from you. What would you like to hear more about? What sort of concerns do you have? What sort of dreams do you have? What kind of bucket list ideas would you like to learn more about? And what would you like to share about your own adventures? Give AMI Audio a call. Send an email. Let us know. That information is going to be at the end of the show. We're going to give it then. And, uh, and I'll include it on this uh, campfire reflections or i'll uh, put it on facebook or i'll send you an email back we'll get a hold of it we'll share that information i promise to do my best to follow up with everyone who reaches out last last 
Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther, will include news about the environment. Hey, we all have to be stewards. We all have to be conscious of what's going on out there. And I'm not going to be preachy. I'm not going to say, hey, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Yeah, there is climate change. Yeah, things are happening. We know that. But what can we do about it? Two things. What can we do to mitigate it, to stop it, to slow it down as individuals, as activists, as people who care? And what can we do to make ourselves and our properties and our communities more resilient? What should we be pushing for? So there's a few things there to think about. We can't enjoy the outdoors without taking some responsibility for it and for our actions. In the end, though, it's never too late to build your own connection with nature, to develop a new skill. And don't forget about those bucket lists, man. You got to keep that bucket list alive. Even in these days when there's so many weird things going on, yeah, I'm talking about that pandemic. It's no reason to pour your bucket list out. You pour that bucket list out, folks, you're giving up. Don't give up. Keep that bucket list alive, and then you'll get it done. Even if you get half of it done by the time you pass out of this earth and into somewhere else, it's still a good life. Keep that bucket list alive. And join back with us the next time on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. And send us a note. Thanks for tuning in to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. If you want access to the show notes, visit lawrencegunther.com. Big thanks to Bill Shackleton, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen for their technical assistance. And to the manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. I'm Lawrence Gunther, and I'm looking forward to the next time we get to meet up in the outdoors. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.